Boom. Stories that need to be told. Mike Young back again, getting this weekly situation in order. Happy to be here. Week two of the new comedy store situation. All thi- uh, Stories that need to be told. All things comedy network. It's me telling you stories. What a week it's been. I'll introduce our guest in a minute. Stock Tip Dave, say what up. How's it going, guys? Good. Okay, now I'll talk to you in a minute. Hold on. Let me... Uh, what a week. It's been a wild week. I, I, I always like to kick off with a little recap so and a humble brag. So this week, I had no idea that My Man is a Loser, the movie I directed and wrote with uh, Stamos and Rappaport and Brian Callen, who I saw a couple of days ago. Brian Callen, by the way, one of the funniest human beings on earth, doesn't even remember that we just did a movie together. I swear to God, I've never seen anybody with amazing, high-skilled, high-level ADD like this in my life. I've seen Callan, work with him every single day, cast him in my movie. You would think that we met each other at an open mic 17 years ago. He has no idea who I am at this point, and why am I not on his podcast? I don't care, but I love him, and he's hilarious, and he looks like my older brother that's just not you know scruffy and, and funny. Um, but this week, DirecTV Audience Network started playing My Man is a Loser, which... I don't understand anything about cable. I don't know what the hell's going on in the world. I, I don't know. If, do you have to have direct TV to get the audience network? Can I get it on Spectrum? I don't know. I don't even understand my cable bill. I don't know what, what the hell's going on. But this week, if you have direct TV, and you have, that means you'll have the audience network on direct TV, check out My Man is a Loser. Have some laughs. I haven't watched it in a while. It's always tough for me to like watch my own movies and anything. actually watch anything I've ever done because I'm just critical. I cringe. I get a physical reaction from moments that I wish were better that I would have paid more attention to. But that being said, that's being played, and I'm proud of it. And it was a lot of work. I looked homeless and exhausted when it was all over. And if you direct a movie, you too will look homeless and exhausted if you put your all into it and then cry a little bit at the premiere. Um, and then boom, showtime. I, I got to, I got a really great chance to work with my old friend, Matt Schuler and my buddy, Henry Penzi, who I've known since back in the club days with like Wahlberg and shit like that. Henry, who I love, they brought me in to produce a, a special with Rob Gronkowski. It aired on showtime called unsportsmanlike, Con- uh, unsportsmanlike conduct. Did you watch it, Dave? You didn't No. You can talk. You don't have to just shake your head. You can talk whenever you want, Dave. Awesome. Um, you didn't watch it? Not the Gronk one, no. Do you have Showtime? Uh, just the Showtime Anytime app right now. That means you could watch it. Okay, so you'll watch it later. I will. But I'm not on it. I just I, I, I wrote it. I produced it. Who's calling me right now? Boom. I, um, I did see My Man is a Loser. I, like My favorite scene was the fight scene. Oh, was was Stamos at the end? Yeah, and, and Jay Seals. That Jay was Seals. Awesome. Do you think it was your favorite scene because you know Jay Seals? I do. You think so? Yeah. Because it was a good, by the way, coordinating a fight scene is very difficult. Any kind of fight scene. You throw one punch in a movie, there's 19 people involved. Oh, yeah. It was hysterical because, you know, I used to watch Full House and then I saw Jay Seals, who's my friend. You know, they can get into a fight, so it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. See, Jay Seals, this will be a good transition. So if you have Showtime, check out Unsportsmanlike Unsportsmanlike Comedy. This one's with Gronkowski. If it goes well, they're going to do them all over the country with different athletes. I think it's a great concept. Gronk was amazing to work with. Dude is hilarious. He's like your college buddy that'll headbutt you at an after party. You know what I mean? He literally is that guy. 
and he's a freak of nature. He's six five, and when I got to his house to like rehearse and go over everything, Gronk was. I, I got to his house, and him and his boys were like playing catch with a baseball. Then they went and played basketball. I looked up. Gronk was reverse dunking on a ten foot rim. Like he could be a professional basketball player, if you and, and a professional baseball player if you wanted. His brothers were there. His father was there. And they're all six foot five and above. And I looked over at one point at the after party and his brother was doing push-ups on the bar. You know what I mean? These are full-blown jocks. Like, there's been jock stereotypes in movies. Go study the Gronkowski family if you want to see some real animal athletes. Yeah, I did see them on TV. They're all huge. Like, 6'5 is the smallest. 6'5, yeah, 6'5 is the smallest. <laughs> I think it's Chris. And they were huge. The dad showed up. He looks like he'll rip your head off. And they're just genetic freaks. And I didn't get that. You didn't get that either, Dave. You didn't get the genetic no. freak. You know what I mean? I got slow feet, good hands, 6'2", 185. I could box a little bit. I could play some hoops, but I was not. I was all city hockey. I felt like they just gave that to me because it was just not enough people in the city. I wasn't going to play college hockey or pro, and I knew that at a very young age. I just got the ability for three-point shooting. That's what everybody tries to say, Dave. Everybody, do you really have great... Ability for three-point shooting. Oh, we'll I, see about that. I definitely do. Okay, put your money, your stock tip money, because this is stock tip Dave talking over here. Put your money uh, where your mouth is. We're gonna have a three-point contest. Me, you, Connolly, Danny A. Everybody in that group thinks that they're great three-point shooters. We're gonna see what happens. I'll bring you down to men's league. We'll see how it goes. I'm all for it. Cool. So this is a good transition. So you love the scene in my man is a loser with Jay Seals. So Jay Seals is an LA staple. Jay Seals has been on my podcast. He's an actor. I met him as a bartender at goal. Like many actors, you got to have a bartending job so you can get away easy and go audition. It's just a good lifestyle, good cash to support your life. And, uh, Jay's one of these dudes who is on the constant hustle. This motherfucker I don't even know how he got in my movie. I literally looked up and he was in New York on set. I didn't even remember giving him a part. He will fast talk you and get you to say yes because he's a lovable dude and he's family at this point. But I met Jay at goal while he was bartending and he was like, heard I had a movie going. Basically was like, yo, you're putting me in the movie. Please, is there anything for me? Had a little role to play at the in the end scene against Stamos. It actually was a bigger role than I thought I was going to give him. You know what I mean? But he's got those cherry those cherry red cheeks and he's a fast talking Jersey kid, so he just he swindled me into a part. But he's on the hustle. So the transition move here is that I met Jay at goal. Obviously you guys know, you know, our crew hangs out at goal. Kevin hangs out there, Leo, Toby, you know, our little little my my the famous side of my friends, they all hang at goal. So, you know, we're trying to help them get business anyway. But goal is where I also met Stock Tip Dave. Stock Tip Dave is a Los Angeles stare, uh, just just a character. Like you're you're a great character, Dave. We brought you in the mix. I I don't even know how you even like how we found you. Stock Tip Dave, let me give him a visual. What are you five six? Five four five five. Five four five five. Not an imposing figure, but rolled in one day at goal. Was there many days in a row? Probably like sitting at the bar eating. Right? No. Heavy drinking? No. Give, it, give, give us a story. Because Connolly, Connolly, Kevin Connolly I'm talking about. Kevin Connolly, he will put together like a, 
like a band of of like a ragtag crew of bank robbers. Like all of a sudden you look up Connolly's got nine new friends and they're all from different parts of the country with different skill sets and I, I, I and Dave is one of them. Hold on one sec. You could, Mike, can we shut that door? Dave, we shut that door cuz I I don't want to hear that vacuum in. or air conditioning whatever that is. So but we met Stock Tip Dave. Thanks, buddy. We met Dave at goal. And tell me about your first day, how you met Kevin, and how you got into our crew. Because before I knew it, I'm paying Dave to do like side hustle things for me. He's printing up like he's printing up documents. I had him print up a bunch of stuff on like this new book situation that I'm probably gonna be involved in. All of a sudden you're my assistant. I don't know how this happened. Talk. <laughs> well, originally before I went to goal, um, Years prior, I had met Kevin Connolly when I was working for the New York Islanders. He was filming his 30 for 30 about the Islanders, and I happened to run into him on my birthday, like back in 2012. Hadn't seen him since, and then I met up with a friend from college. We were just looking for a sports bar to go to. We walk into goal. My friend's like, there's Kevin Connolly. I was like, oh, man. I met him with the New York Islanders. Had a little small talk. So my first day I was in goal, I decided to buy his favorite drink which is the JW Blue. I've never heard of this drink. How'd and you know it was his favorite drink? I asked one of his friends at the bar, because at first I wanted to buy him a drink. He's like, he's like, no, I'm an owner. And I'm like, okay, fine. And I still persisted. And I asked somebody else. I was like, hey, what's his favorite drink? And they just shout out JW Blue. And I'm like, okay, get him a JW Blue. And so go over to talk to him, get my bill like before the end of the night. I look at my bill, and to this day, you know, he kind of laughs at the face that I made, because I get the bill. It's like a hundred dollar bill and seventy of it is just the one drink, and so you bought Connolly a so basically for seventy eight dollars you got a great friendship going. Yeah, pretty much. And my original name was J W Blue. Oh really? <laughs> and then the next week I came back, got a little bit of liquid courage, was talking to them, and just started pitching them a stock tip that I'd been buying for a year about a stock that I'd been following and it was doing very very well and. Because I had liquid curves that night, they were just like, oh, man, what's this stock all about? And so they called me Stock Tip after the second time I went in there getting hammered and just pitching them a stock. So that's how you became Stock Tip Dave? Yeah. So we call him Stock Tip Dave. That's literally what we call him every day. He's at goal four times a week. If you need a stock tip, just come sit next to him, buy him a drink. By the time he's hammered, you'll have you'll have made 38% on your money. And it's hilarious because Dave actually does understand the stock market, which is really bizarre. And for the last week and a half, would you say you've been buying Canadian marijuana stocks? Yeah, absolutely. And they've been soaring. His stocks are up 150%, and he is killing the game right now. And I'm just too dumb to have put money into any of the stocks so far, but tomorrow I will. I am going in deep on the Canadian stocks because ever since Jeff Sessions came out with his stupid-ass announcement trying to deregulate the marijuana industry in America, Canada, Australia, the other countries are going to make major headway and they're going to take over this whole stock world. But you just you just, you just call, you show up at goal, you, you give me a call, you hit up the podcast, you can find me easily, hit me on Twitter at, at RealMikeYoung, find me on Instagram at the Real Mike Young. We'll connect you to Dave. We'll all take a percentage and we'll all make money together. But somehow, I mean, you've been surviving on your stock tips since you got here. Yeah, you haven't much. had a job since I've known you. Well, since it's been a few months, but few months, a few months. We're trying to get jo Dave like a regular job. Like we've, <laughs> we've he put in a thing to AEG. We know some people high up. 
didn't get that one yet. I don't know if it's still on the fence. I don't know what they're talking about. It's kind of is it done? Yeah, it's done now. I might get this new job offer from this other company, Marina Del Rey, this week. Hopefully. All right, hopefully. But then you'll be driving to Marina Del Rey on a daily basis, or can you work from home? Well, they will be actually be moving to Culver City, so it'll only be perfect. A few months. Only be a few months. Yeah, I mean Culver. All right, yeah, that's that's not bad. Marina Del Rey to Culver City. So L.A. is the type of town though where you meet random characters and like. I'll just tell you a story about a character that we met years ago that didn't work out. So you meet someone like Dave. Dave is non-threatening. You know what I mean? He ain't coming in to try to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, he, he's not muscling. He's not muscling Leo. He's not trying to extort Leonardo for uh, his next movie film. He's not trying to, you know, snake his way into Connolly's life to get him role in a movie. He's not trying to hang out with Toby to, you know what I mean, like to get in the poker world and see about, you know, get his get some gambling tips. You're just a good dude, Dave. That's why we brought you in the mix. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, that. yeah. That's why I got you running copies of White Boy Rick shit for me. You know what I mean? We, I trust you. And everyone trusts you. But I'm going to tell you a story because this show is stories that need to be told. But probably 12 years ago when I was running, and some of you might have heard this story, but 12 years ago I was running the Belmont. And Dave, I don't even know if you know this story, but like I got into a situation at the Belmont back in the day where I was hosting a night and I got into a fight and a bunch of things happened. And I ended up getting involved in on the side with some bad people, organized crime. They came at me. They did what they did, and everything's good now. It's all been good. But around that time period, there was a guy that was trying to linger around our crew, right? And when you're friends with these guys, when you're friends with dudes that are, like, doing well in the business and they're actors and they're famous and, you know, when you're with these guys, you'll see, like, lots of different people trying to get into your mix. And you got to be careful. And, like, our crew is, like, literally 12, 13 dudes that we've known for 20, almost 20 years deep. You know what I mean? We're all scrappy. No one's messing with our friends without us getting involved. And if it had to get any deeper than that, we got people that we just called a... We can go to the FBI. You know what I mean? We we can go to the FBI. We can call the Navy SEALs. We, When you get to that level of people that we know, there's protection. But my point is, back in the day, this dude with a great personality used to come around. And, you know, he was hanging out all the time. And he was telling us. Uh, he was always popping up at the clubs where we would be at and at the bars where we were. And he did have a good personality to the point where, we're like, we kind of, like, let him in the crew a little bit. And he would hang out. And he started, like, telling us these stories about how they were, like, going to make a movie about his life. And he was a baseball player turned drug dealer. And, you know, and and uh, Sony Pictures had bought the rights to his life. And they're making a movie. So we're like, all right, this guy's trying to turn his life around. Long story short, the guy turned out, you know, unfortunately for him, he was still a big drug dealer. You know what I mean? He was still running kilos of cocaine oh, around the world around the country. Eventually he got busted. He's been in jail. He got sentenced to 20 years. And from what I heard, he's actually getting out early. So he might be getting out like in six months. We'll probably see him again because these type of guys, even though they do their time, they can't avoid the limelight because the ego is so crazy that they need to get back into like the limelight in the world. So we'll see him again. But And listen, I don't even hate the guy because he really never did anything to me like personally. But I remember like, He'd be lingering, hanging, hanging around the crew, and before he even like, like half, you know, while he was hanging out with the crew, I remember him trying to get in the club with us one night, 
And I remember distinctly Leo being at like the, the door when I, you know, kind of like making sure everybody got in. And the dude was like kind of behind me. And I was like, yo, I'm coming in. What's up with homeboy? You know, can he get in? And, and Leo was just like, let the dope dealer wait. He had already known his whole history. He had a full background check done, done on the guy. And point being, just be real. If you try to come to Hollywood and you're trying to get in the mix and you're trying to pull some fake liar shit and you're just going to kind of come in this mix and, you know, be a degenerate and try to extort, you're going to get ruined. You're going to get ruined. It ain't going to happen. It might happen for a minute. There used to be a guy at the comedy store that said he was like part of a crime family and he'd drive like a, a, a Bentley up here. So everyone's like, oh, you got a Bentley. You must be telling the truth. He was a, that he stole the car. It was a stole. They found out about him later. But stock tip, Dave, you are not that guy. No, not at all. You do not seem like you'd be good at drug dealing. Not at all. You know what I mean? I, I did a show for the, even when I did the show for the marijuana company, like these guys, Instead of they paid me like my money, but then they also gifted me marijuana. Remember, I told you, and that I was, was like, awesome. "How do I get rid? Of, I got to get rid of this." <laughs> and then you, like, you couldn't even get rid of it. I had free. Like, no, what, what you, do I do? Did you see it? Yeah. Did you see all the buds I had? It was ridiculous. These guys dropped off two pounds to my place, and I was like, "What do I do?" Like, I don't. I haven't. I sold a joint like in seventh grade. I used to like maybe flip a dollar to two dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I was never moving weight. I tried selling weed once in college. I sent a package. The package came back with a sheriff sticker on it. I was done. I was one and done. I got a sheriff sticker and a case number. There's a case somewhere in the world from 25 years ago, and I don't know even who to call to address it. <laughs> you know amazing. what I mean? But that, that that that's how we met Dave, though, in our mix. Have yeah. you been enjoying your run with the good – because you're with the best crew you could be yeah, with. You absolutely. know that, right? I literally had the best birthday party of my entire life. I don't remember after getting my birthday cake around 10:45, but I, you know, heard about it days later, and I still to this day don't believe some of what I did. But it was the best night, one of the best nights I've ever had. Dave, he can't hold a lot of liquor. You, you, <laughs> Dave's one of, the, and you're a fun drunk, but you go, you're always, you, you're one. It's it's one drink that puts you over the top. You know I mean you're good, you're good, you're good. It's like I had you up here before New Year's, right? Yeah. Doing great on the patio, met a bunch of people, taking pictures, Dave's having fun. And then next thing I knew, you were basically in my lap like a baby. You <laughs> you were just curled over. You had no strength left in your body, and we were worried and just wanted to make sure that you got home. Yeah, that was, I had a few uh, vodka sodas, I think, I believe. Is that your drink, vodka soda? Yeah, because you don't get the hangovers because it's the soda. There's no sugar in it, so that's why I go with it. So to this day, I cannot drink Sprite without thinking of alcohol. And so I have not had a Sprite to drink in like 10 years. Really? So you got a drinking problem like me? No, it just it got to the point where Sprite became gross and it just just, just disgusting to me because I would be, it was my drink of choice. So, okay, I got it. So you're only doing, you're only doing vodka soda, no Sprite anymore, just soda. Yeah. I didn't know soda gives you no hangover. Yeah, it eliminates the sugar so you can wake up the next morning and you feel fine. Really? I had no idea. Oh, this is Rappaport, can't meet up. Um, let me tell Rappaport, no worries. No worries. I'm going to say no worries. We're trying to develop a new show for Rappaport, so we're thinking about what it is. No worries. All right, make sure he's all right. You good? Um, but yeah, that's, but Connelly gave me the, the Stock Tip Dave name. He's like, actually, like he's like, he's like, I just started Instagram in March. I've had an account for six years, never posted a single picture. He's like, let's see your phone. And they changed my name to Stock Tip Dave on Instagram. And so since then, I went from like two followers to like 300. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're gonna have a thought. You're gonna have a thousand followers by where are we right now? January, by March or April, we're gonna get you a thousand. What is your handle on Instagram? I'm gonna blow it up right now. It's just Stock Tip Dave. Stock Tip Dave. That's it. Yep. Find Stock Tip Dave. You got it. And by the way, get some stock tips because we're gonna we're about to start a little group, an investment group. We're all gonna put five grand in, Dave. Let's see where you take us in the next year. Why don't we do that? I'll talk to Kevin today. Let's see what's going on. Let's get a real group going. You seem to be on this. How did you get so good at stock, at stocks? Did you study these things? Like, what's going on? Well, basically, what happened was um, I just just I was always good at numbers, and I wanted to parlay my energy into something I knew I was good at. And so I just started reading all these articles based on hunches that I had. And so just from countless reading of articles on CNN Money or the, the little stock ticket. When you're on your iPhone, you're looking at the articles at the bottom that sometimes people don't pay attention to the articles. Right. But they give good information. And so I'm constantly reading all the articles, even on the stock ticker on your iPhone. And so it's just from reading and reading. And I have not really gone out of the areas I don't know. Like everybody's big on Bitcoin and all that stuff. Yeah. I have not touched it, have not gone near it because... You don't understand it. I don't understand it. And the stuff that I've done well in, like Facebook and the technology and... Weed. Yeah, weed. And so the stuff that I actually have knowledge about, I've done incredibly well in and just worked out from, from sticking within my own you know, lane. That's exactly what they talk about when they talk about investments. It's like, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. I love that lane. I'm going to get in that lane. I'm going in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a couple great... So I have to open up my own account... Like with Fidelity, I can't just, there's no Wells Fargo situation I can do. I got to go to Fidelity. I mean, you can. I don't know. Right. But it's just, I I'm was not, just... I, God, I wish I was smarter. <laughs> I'm like really smart with like, I can write. I can do stand up. Math has just done nothing but gone down for me. And, it, it, and it's, by the way, it's a curse. People I admire, anybody who's good with numbers, who can flip numbers. I know some people that can barely read, but they got numbers down. You know what I mean? Like some of my friends back in Detroit, like I got a couple, even my shady friends, they're so good with numbers and that's like a gift. I wish I, can you get better with numbers with practice or no? No, is absolutely. No, there's, uh, there is actually exercises you can do that helps you memorize them better. Like you can do it just by... Like instead of saying eight eight zero, you say eight eighty, or you, there's different like patterns you can do to repeat. And, really? Yeah. I, I would you learn these? Did, did you read about these? Well, did I've it? just always been good at numbers, and when I was back in the day, when I was younger, I just took these lessons because you know, like you said, I was not good with reading, and so right. I, I took these classes just to kind of improve. And one of the exercises they did was help me to memorize up to nine to ten numbers at one time, and so I can see a number and just remember it. All right. Uh, next time you hear me, within a week, my number game is going up. <laughs> Seriously. I, is this something – can I get this online? Oh, yeah, absolutely. See, I've been good with numbers and stories. You yeah. know, as our friend Kevin likes to say, I'm a little bit chatty, so he always loves to warn people before he introduces me. So Dave is chatty. I mean <laughs> – and, and let, by the way, let this be a good lesson for you. So, like, Dave will – I'll give you an example. A couple days ago, maybe it was last week, um. I'm in the. I'm out front of the bar. I'm hanging out. Uh, a couple friends of mine, with the producer for our next movie, and the uh, the director, Doug Jordan, came up with the crew. We're talking. We're talking business. We're just talking business. We, it's three men standing in a tight circle, 
obviously in a conversation talking business. You will come right up, and as if we're not even talking, you won't even say excuse me. You'll just start to tell what you need to say. So <laughs> out of the corner of my ear, I just hear like, "Hey, do you know that? Um, uh, do you know? Uh, do you do you know if uh, these girls are coming from? Uh, I don't remember exactly what you said. I just remember you were starting to talk, and I was like, Dave, we're, we're in a conversation. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta pause. If you see dudes talking, <clears throat> take a minute." On the on the balcony of the bar, Leonardo DiCaprio is in a full conversation with our friend Michael Nash, great documentary maker, filmmaker, award-winning filmmaker. They are having a man-to-man conversation. I look over, stock tip Dave is basically perched up on Leo's shoulder and just not saying anything. I'm looking and you're not saying anything, but you're dying to talk. You're dying to talk to Leo. And... Just for your own good, because Leo could not be a nicer guy. He's the ni- He's the best. He's a. He's just a gem, and he's never gonna yell at you. You're never gonna get yelled at. But other people will yell, or you know what I mean. Connolly will put you on a timeout. Somebody else will. You know what I mean. Oh yeah. Chuck will be like, "Yo, bro, you're banned for three months." You know what I mean. Which probably won't happen. But you know, when people are in a conversation, it's okay to not talk. Right? Oh, yeah. Do you like, know that? Absolutely. Like, one of the best things that was said to me at Goal was one day, I think it was uh, DeRosa, he was talking to somebody else. I walk out there and I was trying to talk about the game. And he literally looks and he goes, he goes, Dave, that's a forced conversation. Go back inside. <laughs> so that's DeRosa. DeRosa's <laughs> one of the owners of Goal. It was awesome. He is, uh, <laughs> he's the king of speaking his mind. I've never met anybody more articulate when it comes to actually speaking his mind. He will. Always on, it's usually on the verge of yelling, but he's very clear when he gives direction, and that's good. There should be no forced conversations. Forced conversations are like forced fun. You ever see people trying to like families that go on vacation for forced fun? It's like let's go on vacation. None of us are getting along. None of us really want to be where we're at. You know what I mean? Like I see these, I see these families all over the place. I couldn't be happier alone or with one person on a vacation when I'm looking at these families that are miserable on vacation. I was lucky when my family went on vacation, me and my brother had the greatest times ever. Like we, we just, you know, we had a blast. We'd meet girls. We'd lie. We'd say we were Olympic boxers. We, we, <laughs> I, one time on a vacation in Miami, I pretended I didn't speak English. I made up my own language and my brother was my translator. He's like, I'm like, and my brother's just like, hey, girls, he wants to know if you want to have pizza upstairs. You know what I mean? We were doing things. And, uh, but the point is, no force, no, no more forced conversations. Yeah, no right? Absolutely. You, and you, you understand that. I mean, you know what I mean? Just, but, but it's, it's, you're, you know, you're new here. You've been, how, how long you've been in LA? Actually, it'll be a year and about two weeks. I moved here last January. And actually, at goal, that was the first, Kevin managed to convince me to do karaoke for the first time ever in my entire life. And so, Last week? No, at goal. And so that's why I'm doing Vanilla Ice ever since. So. Oh, right. It's I good. got Dave on video doing Vanilla Ice. By the way, I'm not happy with karaoke right now. I'm just not. They don't have the microphones in check. The sound is terrible. I mean, do you, do you, can you hear what's going on over there? The sound quality is just not up to par. They gotta put some money into a sound system for at least for karaoke. It's too important to me. I have to. I'm on a three rap song a week program. I need to do my songs. I need to get up there, do my Empire State 
I know every word. I, I got to do it. I got to do my slick Rick. Lottie Dottie. We like to party. We don't cause trouble. We don't bother nobody. We're just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic, right? Me and Connolly do at that acapella. And then I get a random one in there. You know what I mean? Like a random Eric B and Rock him. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? The one thing I do like, though, is that it does announce when you're coming up next. It'll say, this person's at this line, this, then after that, and then after that. But actually, I actually went to a karaoke bar the other night where they were showing, um, it was in Koreatown, and they were showing Korean videos to the songs, and it didn't even go with the song. So I was just laughing at the videos they were playing, because it was like the polar opposite of what was going on in the song. Who'd you, did you go with a crew? Yeah. Was, did you? It was a birthday party. Oh, nice. Was it in one of those rooms? Yeah, it's one of those rooms, and the videos were just, I couldn't stop laughing. Wait, was it a vi- was it one of those rooms where, like, hot chicks come in and they'll dance for you also while you're singing? Um, maybe, but not that night, because it was a birthday party. Okay. And so there was more, like, appetizers yeah. than girls that came in and danced. Oh, yeah, they got that going on. In Koreatown, it's like, it's almost, the, it's the singing version of a massage parlor. You can go there, get a room, start your singing. All of a sudden, three hot chicks for $20 a piece are dancing in there, which is very strange. It's very weird because we're living in a time, especially, especially in Hollywood right now, it's like sexual assault here, sexual harassment there. Women aren't getting, you know what I mean? It's a really tough thing to wrap your head around. Because you'll be like, yes, women deserve this. And yes, of course you don't assault women. And yes, you got to be careful. But then you go to Koreatown and there's two women for $40 a piece that are rubbing (laughs) your back while you're singing. You're like, I'm so confused as to how I'm supposed to be with women. You know what I mean? It's like, of course I love women. I love my mom. I love my cousins. You disrespect any woman in my family. We got a problem. But then it's like, here I am at the massage parlor. You know what I mean? Want me to flip you over? Yeah. (laughs) You're assaulting me. Assault me. I'm getting assaulted all over this town. So it's a very weird time. I don't even want to get into how I feel about it because it's very simple with me. If you're a disgusting animal, rapey, groper, powerful man, you should be brought down and we should bury you. Simple as that. If you use your power and you abuse it, Against women, you're a piece of shit. I don't give a fuck. I'll kidnap you. But there's other dudes who just have dis- who just have fetishes. Some guys are just fucked up. You know what I mean? So yeah, I got friends that can't come unless they see a foot. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's some real shit out there. Wow. There's mental. There's mental <laughs> illness going on. So you got to differentiate between what's what. Like Chappelle talked about it on his special. Did you watch Chappelle's special? Yeah. Both of them, the one they shot in the comedy store, Belly Room, the new ones? I watched part of it. I did not see the, the act in the comedy room, the comedy store, though. Oh, wait till you see it. It's legendary. Dave Chappelle, once again, takes it to another level. To me, he belongs on the Mount Rushmore of comedians. You know, I would say Pryor, Eddie Murphy, George Carlin, Chris Rock, Chappelle on the Mount Rushmore, and then you got, I mean, there's always on the Little Rocks, you could have Robin Williams, you know, uh, there's arguments to be made for, like, who's on the Little Rocks underneath the Mount Rushmore, but, you know, Chappelle, to me, is a, he's just a genius. Then what would be your opinion about Chris Farley? Not a stand-up comedian, but a genius comedic actor. Total difference. You know what I mean? Total difference. 
Chris Farley, amazing comedic actor. Will Ferrell, genius Mount Rushmore comedic actor. Um, who, uh, who I don't know who, who else are the Mount Rushmores of com- Steve Martin. He's there's an argument to to be made for Steve Martin to get on both. He was a he was a stand up comedian selling out the Forum back in the eighties. Oh, wow. oh yeah, Steve Martin. He's got a book called Born Standing Up. It's one of the best books you'll ever read. He walked away from stand-up comedy at the height. The day after he sold out the forum, he quit stand-up. He's like, I just don't feel anything for it anymore, which is very strange, but kind of, you know, you under, you, as a stand-up, you can understand not feeling it because it's such a tough gig that you have to feel what you're going up to say. So who was the comedian that inspired you to get into comedy? Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy? 100%. When I saw Delirious, I mean, I already, I already, as a kid, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. My favorite thing in the world was making my class laugh, was cracking jokes in class, breaking up, you know, teacher would say something, I'd come right back. You know what I mean? My Spanish teacher was like writing the word por qué on the board, and he's like saying it out loud to the whole class, like por qué, and I would just go, butter. Because there was a famous, there was a famous commercial, parquet versus butter, and the little box would go butter. That was my favorite thing. Was just literally cracking up the class, and the reaction I got from the class it filled my soul straight up. Like it just made me happy. And my family was funny. My brother is funny. Like our there were nights at the dinner table at my family table that like we couldn't control ourselves. Like the <laughs> laughter between my my dad, my mom, my brother, it was just infectious. And my dad was funny. And my dad had like a specific sense of humor. Like it was it was like a my dad had like not a physical sense of humor, but he could like make you laugh with one word or like one look or like he just understood humor. And that's why I tell everybody it's like some people don't have a sense of humor. It's a sense. It's smelling, seeing, Tasting, touching, whatever, and humor. And there are people out there with no fucking sense of humor, and they're terrible to be around. See, like with me, if I'm forced, it's not funny. If I just naturally just talk, then it's funny. Totally. (laughs) And by the way, I'm a professional comedian. It's the same with me. If I have to think too much about like what's coming or like a joke that I'm about to say, and it's not coming from the gut and it's flying, it's not funny. Because sometimes I'll find myself waiting to say a line that I know could work in the moment, and that never works. It's you. It's when it flies, you know, organically that it's funny. So, do you remember your uh, first performance? Oh, like up on stage. Yes, it was in this building. We are in the basement of the comedy store right now. My first performance ever. I was living in an apartment with two roommates, Zach and Todd. They were my college roommates. We all moved to L.A. together. I was in my room every day writing stand-up, but never had gotten on stage. I had already been to college, watched people do stand-up, admired them, been, you know, just like envious. Like in my mind, I was like, one day, one day I'm going to do this. And so I had my act. I was performing it in front of my two roommates in the living room for like a couple of days. I knew I was coming to the comedy store because I stood in line every Sunday just like you see these dudes out here when we pulled up, they're standing in line to sign up for an open mic that's going to happen tonight. Oh, wow. And I did that, and I did it every week. And so I had my three-minute spot lined up, ready to go, and I'm driving up here. My boy Zach is driving me to the comedy store. And before I get out, he goes, I got a great idea. He's like, don't do your act. You have to do your act like the way you have your act laid out. He's like, 
just imitate Mike Tyson when you go up on stage and then go into your act. Because I could do a really good Mike Tyson back in the day. And I haven't done it forever. Can you do I, it right now? Maybe? I mean, I think I can. I probably can. Let me think. Mike Tyson. I used to I used to say, like, Mike Tyson would make up words. And he would be like, yeah, you know, everything is good. You know, life is fun. You know, I, I mean, I'm just, I know I'm the greatest <laughs> champion of all time. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's unskilligated. It's, it's unskilligated the way of panameters. You know, the panameters of the ring are this, uh, what keep you in the ring. And he would just make, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I haven't done it in forever, but I think it's something like that. But he'd be like, uh. You know, and then uh, you know, you when I you know I fought a Van de Holyfield, you know everything was going good, and then all of a sudden the, the you know disincration of the whole night just came upon me. And he would just make up a word. <laughs> disincration is not a word. Fuck, you know what I mean? He would make up words. So I did that. I get on stage. I don't address the crowd. I don't say hello. I don't say anything. I go right into Mike Tyson, and it's dead. Nobody's laughing. I'm not getting a single laugh. And when you don't get a single laugh in stand-up comedy, it's hard to explain what that feeling is, but like it's dead but being alive. You're dead. of You've died. That's why I know when they say, yo, I killed or I died on stage. Oh, that set was death. It feels like you're empty. Like there's nothing in your body to keep you alive. And I remember it just went terrible. And I kind of came back a little bit by the last like minute and a half. I got him. I got him. And so I knew what it was to get a joke on stage. Bam. Then I was hooked, hooked on stand up. And every week I was coming back. And then one, and I'm not even kidding, one night I'm in the original room and I see Damon Wayans go on. And Damon Wayans was an amazing, it probably still is. I haven't seen him do stand up in a long time, but. Let it be known that Damon Wayans was as good a stand-up comedian as there was. I mean, he was fucking badass. Yeah, he had wait till you go look up some old Damon Wayans shit, bro. He was a killer. I loved him on Living Color. All of those skits, like Homie the Clown. Homie was... the Clown. <laughs> Damon's genius. It's funny because I used to always want to be like Keenan Ivory Wayans because I wanted to be the guy that created the show and then put himself in the show. Like he, you know, he was the boss. He was like the mob boss of the family. He was calling the shots. And just putting everybody in position. So I wanted to be like Keenan, And that's kind of the path I love. But I, one night, I'm in the back of the comedy store. I'm watching Damon Wayans. I'm about seven, six, seven months, maybe a year into stand-up. And I swear to God, like this crazy warmth came over me. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do no matter what. I'm like, no matter what, I'm in. I'm just in. And I remember having the exact thought, because you know how you like, you know how you remember like what you're thinking in certain moments. Absolutely. I had the thought of rich or poor, I don't give a fuck. I'm going all in on stand up. And I thought to myself, Damon Wayne's probably makes a mil at that time he probably makes a million dollars a year on the road. So in my mind I'm like, I could at least get to where I'm funny enough just to eat. Like to I can make a hundred thousand. You know what I mean? In my mind, that's what I was thinking. Maybe that's like the Jewish businessman in me. Oh, yeah. But like I'm thinking in my mind, if he's making a million, I'm a tenth. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm like 10% is funny right now. And so I can make a living doing this. And this warmth came over me and that was it. I dove in, bro. I dove all in. And the lifestyle, and it's like I tell people, like any of these young dudes, who, if you come at me and you're like, I'm thinking about doing stand-up, I'll go, don't. There's no reason. Don't. 
But if you come at me and you're like, yo, I love stand-up. This is like the life. I, I'll be like, let's go. I'll get you. I'll hook you up at the comedy store. Let's see what you got. Like, I'm all for it. But it's such a tough life. And it's not a tough life as far as like hours in. It's just a tough lifestyle. It's a it's a lifestyle. Yeah, so you got to be passionate. Yeah, you got to be. You, you've been here. I've brought you up here a bunch of times oh, yeah. now, right? You see the passion up here. And I've seen people perform when there's four people in the audience, and that's still incredibly hard to do because there's only four people there. Exactly. I've done a hundred. I've done three hundred shows at least in front of four people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've done. Yo, on my life, bro, I used to go up to the belly room when nobody was in there, and I would perform in front of the mirror just to get the shit out of my mouth, like just to say it, Yeah, you know, Absolutely. because you have to like, you got to find a place to practice. And you got to love what you do because like kind of a, another story that kind of compares to that. When I, I'm a huge basketball guy, love the NBA. My first job out of college was the Atlanta Hawks, and I was on cloud nine. I went there, had a smile every day, so now I'm known as Talk Tip Dave. But for three years with the Atlanta Hawks, they called me Smiling Dave because I walked around with a huge smile and I was, had all this infectious energy. And just because, you know, that's a job where it's 12 hours a day, 100 phone calls, 50, 80 games a year between hockey, basketball. Got to love what you do. Got to love what you do. Everybody should love If everybody could find a way to love what they do, the whole world would be better. Everybody would be happy. Every And by the way, when I... You know, I, I, I knock, like, I say, like, directing a movie makes you exhausted, makes you feel home. But being on set when you're working and if you're in a good crew in a good environment, there is nothing better. You know, if you're in a bad crew in a bad environment, yeah, there's nothing worse. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you can love what you do, you're you're lucky. You know what I mean? And did your was your, was your dad, like, an entrepreneurial guy or was he straight corporate? My dad actually was a doctor. He was a radiologist. Oh. oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no wonder you're doing well and didn't have to have a job for a year. Yeah, got that radiology money. <clears throat> He's a, your dad, he, Dave doesn't want to speak on that. Dave's been wearing great shirts since I met him, but always saying he needed a job. But I think he's doing great. It can't just be the stocks. Well, it's been years of, you know, like you said, I'm, I've been good with money and I've had actually been saving since... I've saved all my commission from 2005, so I've just I have oh yeah a little bit. Dave's of got three million in the bank. He doesn't want to tell anybody. No, no, he's, no. He's doing great. <laughs> he's doing great. He can avoid. Ch- he can. He can get chicken tenders. I mean, there's other dudes that we met at the bar too, like the, you know Hickerson. There's all these characters. It's like our Cheers. You know what I mean? That place is like Cheers. Yeah, home base. I still. I, I gotta. I'm gonna talk to Hickerson. I gotta have a conversation with him. I could have sworn he told me he was all city basketball in South Carolina. Is that where he's from, south or north? Yeah. No, he told me he could dunk. I played with him. I invited him up to Danny A's house to play basketball. We needed a 10th guy. He looks athletic. He moved, walks fast, talks fast, said he was all city. And I'm thinking, like, there's real athletes down there. So to call yourself all city down by where you're from, like, you better be real. And Hickerson, if you're listening, bro, you're not a bad athlete. Yeah, you're not a bad ball player. But you don't look all city, bro. You didn't look all city to me. If you want to roll the camera, like we used to have a saying back in the day, yo, player, check the camera. Check the <laughs> camera, bro. I shot for 90% that day. I think you shot for 8%. You might have had three buckets, a couple layups. You were looking flat-footed. I'm not going to go. You can't just throw all city around. You can't just make up your fucking life. I know it's Hollywood. Everybody makes up their shit. Slow down. 
You know what I mean? I, I like you. See, we like you, buddy. See, with me, since I'm 5'4", nobody believes I can play basketball. And then another one of our friends who goes by the name Slick Rick, great guy. He came to me. We played basketball. And I just stunned him with the amount of three-point shots that I made. He actually was like, I never expected you to be this good. Because, you know, I'm five foot nothing. And so he thought I was just all talk. Did you play as a kid growing up? Oh, like, yeah. I, I, basically, it's the only sport I've ever played since I was like eight years old. Yeah. No, I believe you could fire. I, I believe it. Like, maybe we put money against, because Danny A is a game. He'll gamble. He'll bet you. And maybe we bring you in. I got to see you shoot first before we put the money down. But I would I would totally be down for that if, if you're, uh, you know, take you around the country, fucking hustle. Yeah, I've been trying to get uh, I've been trying to get Connolly to do a three point competition with me. You think he's scared to lose? I don't know. He says he would just back me down and it'd be like on the ground, like Shaq against Muggsy Bogues. So that's how he always explains it. Yo, he's not gonna back you down. You're gonna have a three point competition. Yeah, I, I would want to see that. I, I want to see you have a three point competition because I've played with Kevin. He can shoot. He can definitely fire the three. You know what I mean? He's feisty as shit on the court, no doubt. But he can definitely, Connolly can fire a three. He's For a kid that grew up like in the entertainment business, somehow he's like athletic. Like I don't even know where he got his athleticism from. Like it wasn't like, he didn't, I don't think he grew up in like sports leagues like the rest of us. Like I look at Leo and, and uh, Toby and those guys. Leo definitely took some lessons. Like when he did Basketball Diaries, I think he learned like five great moves. And he uses those moves all day. So he's got a great post-up game. And he's got a solid, like, definite under-the-basket game and can, like, never misses on, like, a simple layup. I'm not going to talk about his jumper. There's no real jumper going on, <laughs> L. I know you're not listening because you're the busiest person on the planet, but your jump shot, it ain't there, bro. So it wasn't there at least a year ago. But we had many great games up there. And I would have to check him because we're both 6'2". You know what I mean? We were the same size. He's 190. I was 190. So I always check him, you know. So he definitely, he took it to me on the low post. But from what I can remember, I think I was I was burying the outside game. Nice. We used to have great games, bro. <clears throat> that was like the original entertainment league. Like you weren't here for the entertainment league. That was a fun league. A lot of trash talking? There was a lot of trash talking. Because we would play, like our team was me, Leo, Connolly, Lucas Haas was on the team. Um... Nick Cassavetes, Chuck, um, DeRosa played. DeRosa, basketball, not your sport. Football, heard rumors about him playing free safety in football. Solid, I'm sure. But everybody, everyone's got their own sport. But uh, we did talk a lot of trash because you would play against like other groups of entertainment people. So it'd be like, yeah. like the cast of I don't know the you know the cast of CSI. You know what I mean? Yeah. The cast of CSI Miami. So even in goal, <clears> when I when I talk to Kevin about playing basketball one on one or three point competition, he'd be like, Dave, no contest. And he'd like use his elbows and like back me down into the sides of goal and like the sides of the restaurant. And be like, see, like you know, post me up and then go boom into the wall. Yeah, <laughs> he's strong for a little fella. He's got little, you know, he's got he's got some like density to his bones somehow you know but i grew up playing hockey beast mode i've got a brother that walked on a division one football team pack 10 you know what i mean have you met my brother no oh you gotta you gotta you haven't met rob no oh you gotta met. meet my brother bro he's a king all my boys like him they like him more than they like me like rob comes out to la he gets taken care of nice. he was out here staying in my place for four days like i was like yo what are you doing he didn't he didn't even call me i was gone <laughs> 
I'd love to meet him. He's like, it's great. I'm going out with uh, I'm going out with Leo and Damon. I'm going to the club. We're having a great time. I'll, I'll call you. I'll call you in a couple of days. He had a great time while he was out here. But yeah, he knows all my boys out here. Um, Is he a stand-up comic also, or what does he do? No, but it's fine. I think I'm catching a cold from this damn microphone. Whoever was on it before, just just shit's coming off it. Um, <laughs> he is in the restoration business. So my brother had a company called Young & Sons Construction, and then they sold the company to my cousin's company, Blue Team Restoration. So when a you know commercial property, fire, flood, any major damage, you call my brother. Blue Team Restoration. They're they're huge. They're like a you know multi hundred million dollar company, based out of Florida, Atlanta, Detroit. They're everywhere. So, he got involved. Even when Goal had their fire next door, he sent his crew out just to like you know get the air clean. Oh wow! You know because Goal yeah, wanted to be, Goal was dying because they wanted to be open for Super Bowl. He got them open. He made sure they were open for Super Bowl, even though there was nothing they could do because next door was burned out. You know what I mean? But that's his business. And he learned that business from my other cousin. It's a family situation, you know what I mean? Like we got we got family in in, uh, in that business. My my cousin, I don't know if you've seen the Super Bowl commercials for like Belfour. There's a company called Belfour. It's like the biggest in the world, basically, restoration company. Okay, they yeah. do Super Bowl commercials, and just that's my cousin. It's oh, his company. Nice. Yeah, and he's got a he's got a crazy. You know, I got a everyone's got a story. Yeah. That's why I want to name my podcast stories that need to be told. I've got stories. See, I have stories too, and I'm just I'm holding back because it's my first time on the show. So, no, bro, you don't have to hold back. I mean, you're, you're, you'll be. I mean, I'll, I'll bring you on all the time, no problem. <laughs> but like, is there a specific story that you're holding back on? Like that, you, something on the tip of your tongue? No, I mean, I could go into more details about like you know people I've met through the first year and some of the stories, but I didn't wanna. Wasn't sure what what I could say, what I couldn't say. Yeah, you know, I've thought about that many times. You know, like, but like, as long as you're not snitching on a situation. And no one's going to get in trouble or hurt. Stories are just a natural thing. People need to tell stories. People need to hear stories. You know what I mean? Because people, they see themselves in stories. And some, especially being in Hollywood, some of the shit's like wish fulfillment for other, you know, for people. And it's also a way to go like, I don't give a fuck if you're from a shack in Kentucky and I don't care where you are. You got a shot. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I'm from Southfield, Michigan. See, I'm from Orlando, Florida, actually Winter Park, Maitland, Florida, and the best way I can explain, like my first year in LA, nobody would believe me. It's been one, it's been one of the most amazing years with all the people I've got to meet, all the introductions, and just from going to Goal and going around LA, it's just <coughs> unbelievable to the point where if someone's asking me how's your year been, I'm like, you're never gonna believe this, and it's just it's hard to explain. By the way, it's funny because my first year in LA. It was similar to yours without getting back down at goal and getting told I'll get beat up and you're going to get, you know, Kevin Connolly wasn't backing me into a corner. Well, he wasn't beating me up. It was, it was right, straight right. up. It was basketball talk. Right. But I'm saying you have a similar, it's a, <laughs> it's a, my first year in LA was sort of like that. And I remember calling my friends back in Detroit and for like the first year that I was like in the basketball league and had these friends and new friends that were like coming up in the game and I didn't tell anybody. Because it sounded ridiculous. If I was going to be, if my boys were like, yo, what did you do Friday? I didn't even feel comfortable saying, I got a call from Leo's assistant to say, pack a bag, go to his house. You're going on an airplane on a private jet to Las Vegas for three days. I didn't want to tell people that. I didn't tell people that for a long time. Until finally I was like, you know what? I got to share this 
story because I got no one to tell. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like, know exactly how it means. Like my first three months, I bottled everything up. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I have to tell these people. I told like maybe three or four of my closest friends in Orlando what was going on. And they were like, are you, they're like, are you lying? And I'm like, no. Yeah. If you're not known as a liar, you're not lying. <laughs> yeah. No, LA can be, listen, LA can be a shitty town. It can be a really upside down, desperate, shit ass town for real. It can be a dangerous town. But if you come out with the right intentions, and you just get a job that you love and, and you're just doing something every day that you're digging, then you can use L.A. I always tell people, like, use L.A. Don't let L.A. use you. Hollywood will use you. It'll chew you up. It'll spit you out. You have to use it for what you want to do, you know? If you're coming out here for fame, just get out of here. Leave. Go home already. That's not a goal. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. A goal should not be to be... But if you're coming out here to like tell the best stories, write the best shit, do the best stand-up, if you're coming out here like to live that dream of what you want to do, then you're good. But if you're coming out here for attention, to be the center of it, get the fuck out. Excuse my language. I tried not to swear because my mom listens to the podcast. She doesn't want me <laughs> cursing. But uh, it's just what's your intention? That's what it's all about. What are your intentions? See, like with me, I feel like I've been trying to get to L.A. since I was 17 years old, and I was just finally able to make it happen, and so I've very much enjoyed it. Yeah, bro, you got a great life going on. You're picking the winners. It's like a, it's like a horse race. You're you're putting you're you're making bets. You're making money in the st- in the market. You're in with a great crew. Do you hear music? I hear vibrating. <laughs> that was your phone. It was my phone. I was getting a phone call from actually one of my Orlando friends. Oh, really? He's uh, a doctor in Minneapolis at the moment. Really? We should talk to him. I could plug him in on the phone and get him a... Is he already off? No, I can call him back. He'll answer. Let's see. Who do I need to call? No, don't call him back right now. Don't call him back. Dave, I want you to know that you beat... uh, Jerry Ferraro was going to be my guest today, but instead I got stock tip Dave, bro. And it's, it's, it's been all good. You got any other questions for me? About this game, about this business? I'm trying to think. I know I had a lot. Oh, so I had Dave. If you listen to last week's podcast, white boy Rick called in from prison. He finally got minimum security prison and he got a little bit. He's he's potentially going to get work release situation where he can go on like the side of the road, clean up stuff and go back to jail. But it was really cool talking to him because they shot the movie about his life. Matthew McConaughey is playing his father. So Rick, throughout talking to him, he had asked me if I wanted to write his book. So I had always said, yes, you have a best-selling book. His story is unbelievable. The story of White Boy Rick was that when he was 15 years old, he was used by the feds to be a snitch against the drug organizations in Detroit. Well, obviously, when you're 15 and you're getting paid by the feds, you don't know anything. You don't know any better, but you know he's in the neighborhood where the dope kingpins are. So he's... He's basically, he's, he's snitching, but he's getting paid to snitch. But while he's doing it, he's learning the game and he's becoming a drug dealer. So by 16 years old, he's moving kilos of cocaine throughout the city, throughout the state, throughout the country. And he's connected to some big time, to big time traffickers all the way to Miami, to Scarface Hotel, to the mutiny, to the Escobar and underlings. Like he, he was getting to be big time and his connects were big. But long story short is, 
um, through my relationship with him, just talking back and forth. And our relationship started because I saw his documentary. I reached out to some people in Michigan. We got up to the governor and, and made some calls just to bring attention to the situation. He finally got paroled out of Michigan. So he's still got to serve a year and a half. But he asked me through these conversations, did I want to be the author, the his co-author on his book? And I said, absolutely. So then I didn't hear anything about it. On Friday, a couple of days ago, I get a call from the literary agent from HarperCollins, who's representing Rick's story. And she's like, listen, what kind of money do you want to do this? We want this book done by March, which is a rush. And it's never going to be done by March 1. There's just no way I could physically do it. <clears throat> but I did say, I did say, here's the amount of money I want for the next three months. I'll get it to you by, the, by mid-March. And I'm in. So now I'm waiting to hear. I gave her a number. She went back to the table to the to Harper Collins as the publisher. And if it goes through, it'll be very cool because I will have a book out that will accompany the movie, the White Boy Rick story. And his story is unbelievable. And it's not the only story out there about yeah, he's been <clears> up for thirty years. It's like locked up for thirty years. Thirty years. And I talked to him yesterday and I just was like, yo, what's it? Because he's in minimum security now, so he actually gets to go out on the grounds a little bit and like even has a little bit more freedom. I said, yo, how you feeling about this potential freedom and about this work release situation? And he's like, yo, bro, I just, you know, I talked to my, you know, my the counselor here and I'm going to take baby steps to get out. You know, I've been in for 30 years and it's going to be a shock to the system, but I'm just going to take it slow. And so, you know, look. I've never met him. We've talked a hundred times, but I've never personally visited him because he's been, you know, I've been here, he's been there. Just didn't work out. When are you flying out. down there? Um, I'm going to fly down in a couple. If I get the gig, I will fly down in a couple weeks. And so, you know, when you have a friend in prison and you want to visit, you got to fill out all this paperwork. You know, you got to do your due diligence. They got to do their due, due diligence, you know. I had to give them my phone records. I got to give them any, you know, potential yeah. felonies. I don't have felonies. but Got like, to pass the background check. You got to pass the full background check. So I, that's why you printed me up that piece. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I also was going to say, um, my buddy who did call, we can call him back. He's a, he's a character himself. He's a very good character, so he could add some, uh, some, some funny stuff for you. You think? I, I definitely know. Okay, give me your phone. Let me see if it's going to work. Give me your phone. We're gonna call Stock Tip Dave's buddy, my next door neighbor. We're gonna wrap it up in fifteen minutes, but I wanna I wanna call this guy. Should I call him? Yeah, call him. But then I gotta plug the phone in here so he can uh, we can hear him. Oh wait, is there a, is there a speaker? Get him on there, Dave. What's his name? This is this is Theo Edwards. He was my next door neighbor in Orlando, Florida. Growing up. Hey, you're. Hold on. Who? Theo. What? Listen up, buddy. You're on. Uh, you're on the podcast right now with Mike Young and Stock Tip Dave. We got you on a podcast. H how was it growing up to Dave as a neighbor? Watch your language. I really gotta watch my language. Yeah, you gotta. Well, I can tell you're like. I could. I could already tell by your first like your first vo vocal like expulsion that you you're dying to curse. So. <laughs> He loves the joke. There's certainly, there's certainly some profanity ticks that, that one might have when speaking about it, but I, I, I tend to be 
just try and hold it back. All right. So um, wait, you're a, you're a doctor? Hello? I lost him. I don't know what happened to him. Don't worry, Theo. We'll call you later, bro. We'll call Theo later. If he if he calls back, he's he's done. We'll call we'll call him on the next one. Okay. I don't know what happened. I think his phone just dropped. Uh. But uh, it'd be great to talk to a neighbor. Do you ever think about what your neighbors think about you? Well, I've known him since I was like four years old. I was actually at his wedding in Minneapolis in May. And yes, yeah, so he's out of service. I can't send a text message. But as far as telling stories, I have a bunch about him, including like he did his residency in London. And there's and I asked him, I was like, what's your favorite part about London? And he goes, the fact that I can go to the bar at 8 a.m. and not be judged. And I was like, that's amazing. So he's a full-blown alcoholic doctor. Well, not anymore. But he, he, he had his parting ways. And there was one thing where one day he went to a, a dance club and he was trying to, you know, impress a girl. While he was on the dance floor, he dislocates his knee. And the girl's like, oh, my God, do you need to go to a hospital? He's like, no, man, I'm a doctor. Watch this. He walks up to the bar, asks for three shots of like Jameson or some some kind of tequila, whatever it was. He takes the three shots, snaps his knee back into place, wraps it with a with like a cloth or something, and goes right back on the dance floor and dances with, with her. By the way, he's a man. That's that's a man doctor move. If I even tweak, by the way, I was at the doctor this morning getting my bunion shaved for my men's league basketball. Are you kidding? I, 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 he would probably just take a razor blade and do it himself. <laughs> Good for Theo. Um, yo, so Dave, before we wrap this up, let me think. Is there anything else, stories that need to be told this week? Let's recap. What did I do? So, boom. As far as uh, on the humble brag tip, boom. My man is a loser on DirecTV, on Audience Network, boom. I like that. Unsportsmanlike comedy on Showtime with Gronkowski. Check it out. That was a great, great time working with Gronk and his whole crew. Um, White Boy Rick, I'll let you guys know next week if I got this book deal and uh, what to do with it. Um, definitely hit up Stock Tip Dave on his Instagram. Just find him, ladies. I'm gonna get you on a dating show, Dave. We got, you know, what I mean, we got, we got to get you a girl. We got to get you, we got to get you a, maybe not a girlfriend, but just that'll be the next level of having fun for you out here. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Because we've course. all done everything. You know what I mean? I've been in the streets like an animal for years. <laughs> I, I've done everything you could think of. You know what I mean? It's uh. I don't even need to get into it. Uh, we're living in an interesting time. And um, what else can I tell you? Um, just I'm, I'm in the cave. You know how I'm in the cave. I'm in the cave all day working. You know what I mean? Yeah, we got our new movie about the bank swipers, the robbers in, in the 90s in Detroit. We're going to shoot that in April, directed by Doug Jordan. And I'll have Doug on here. Have you met Doug, big fella? Um, half a million in diamond chains on his neck when he shows up. Maybe I'm not 100 percent sure. I'll, I'll introduce you, but Doug is Doug is his company's Transcend Media. They're financing the my next two films, and Doug's a great dude. He's a character. I want to get him on here, and uh, you know he rolls deep. He rolls with a crew. You know what I mean? Like he came up there with like two gangsters and a girl dressed in all pink for no reason. You know what I mean? He's yeah, a, yeah. very much a character, and um, and I want to. Uh, he, he's going to be a great director too he he really is but anyway that's it um i'll be at the comedy store i'm judging the roast battle tomorrow night upstairs have oh, you wow. ever seen the roast battle no i didn't know there was one. Oh, roast battle is legendary bro it's been on comedy central it's crazy i just found out just now i'm, I'm going to be hosting or judging the roast battle tomorrow night upstairs in the belly room uh i'll be performing 
um, February 2nd in Morristown, New Jersey with Saget. February 3rd in the Poconos with Saget. February 7th in Chicago at Thalia Hall. February 8th, Detroit, Royal Oak Music Theater. February 9th in Cleveland with Saget. I don't know which place there. And then I'm going to kick it in Detroit for a minute and really just try to just, you know, polish off the movie, have it turned in by mid-February and get get in the groove. And uh, that's it. Find me on the road. Go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, I'm going to have to apologize on behalf of my friend Theo because the reason why he had the, the first initial burst, he didn't know he was on the podcast and we were kind of going back and forth via text. And the last thing I did, I, the last thing I said to him was I called him Dr. Resident Moron because he made a dumb comment. <laughs> Okay, so Theo, yo, we're sorry, Theo. Sorry, bro. We lost you midway. We'll catch you on the flip side. We'll catch you next week, maybe. But uh, this is Mike Young, stories that need to be told in the dungeon of the Comedy Store, one of the greatest places on planet Earth, the only fraternity I ever felt comfortable being in. Peace. We'll see you soon. We could make this a three-hour. I, I could talk forever, but I think this is a good one hour. You know what I mean? Good hour's good. You know what I mean? People are walking, they're listening, they're they're hiking. You know what I mean? They're working out. Whatever you're doing, hit me up at where am I? Twitter. Oh, actually, Twitter doesn't get to do anything anymore. Go Instagram. Yeah. All Instagram. Twitter. The real Mike Young. The real Mike Young. The real Mike Young. Not three times, but it's just the real Mike Young is my Instagram handle. Definitely do Instagram. I feel like Twitter's on the downturn. I feel like that too. If there's a, I would short that stock. Is it public? Actually. No, it is public. Yeah, it's like 22 bucks a share. Yeah, I would short it because I feel the same way. I'm not getting any traction on Twitter. I might just cancel the whole thing. I don't yeah. even know what to do. It's a joke. But uh, that being said, check out my man as a loser on DirecTV Audience Network. If you got Netflix, watch a stand-up guy. Both fun movies. I wrote and directed them. They're my first and second. Enjoy them. Have a laugh. Laughter is all that matters. Love is all that matters. It's really true. I hate to say it and sound corny and preachy, but, you know, we don't hate over here. Anyway, stories that need to be told, stories that need to be told. Mike Young, Stock Tip Dave, good having you, bro. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. You asked good questions, too. I'll have you on just to interview me. Yeah, I would love to come back. Yeah, no, we're going to have you back. Uh, That's it. God bless. Peace. We'll talk to you later.